0: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more.
1: You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. The first episode of 2021. We made it. 2020 is gone. It is beyond us. Uh, this this year is gonna be amazing and uh, I, I am I am glad to welcome you back. We've taken a couple weeks off here, not not intentionally per se, but uh, we, we've had a couple weeks off here and we are back in action. Chase dude, kind of fill everybody in. What has been going on in your world while we've been gone? Well, not a whole
2: lot man other than I have been working a lot. <laughs> uh, been <laughs> yeah. working a lot of overtime. Uh, hunted a little bit uh haven't hunted a whole lot uh seems like uh, a lot of the deer that i've kind of been hunting it's been more of a lot of nocturnal movement uh this time of year um i I would attribute that to maybe uh the acorn drop this season still a lot of acorns and stuff on the ground um the food sources aren't as limited maybe in years past and so I, i just think that there's probably been enough pressure on them this season and they're they're not really having to go far to find food so i just feel like they're not moving as much as they normally would uh at the end of the season at least that's what my uh, cameras are telling me and some of my hunting is telling me as well uh just not as much deer uh, activity in the daytime as uh, there normally probably would be uh this time of year but been working uh been working a bunch just been taking this time to uh, work some overtime uh, we, uh, it's, it's just a lot of factors at work where there's some overtime right now. So, uh, just taking advantage of that and hopefully going to use that money to, uh, for some hunting stuff, things like that. So, uh, that's yeah, what's man. been going on with me and you're the one that's kind of been MIA <laughs> of action. So more <laughs> yeah. w- is more about you right now yeah. than it
1: is me. <laughs> Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, I came down with a pretty pretty good case of COVID. Um, you probably can still—I don't know how this is going to sound. I don't know if I sound stuffy or if uh, my, my voice—I know—has been going out in this podcast. I've been coughing a lot, but I think I've managed to <laughs> keep all that to a minimum. But uh, I, I ran a fever for for 12 days, lost 15 pounds. Um, it it um, you know it was hands down the worst sickness that I have ever had in my entire life. Um, And we, we, we planned on taking one week off, you know, we fought the way that this, that this podcast, you know, plays out. We drop our podcasts on Tuesdays, December had five Tuesdays in it. And Chase and I, because of the holidays, because of hunting season, it was just difficult to get that fifth one out in December. And we just decided We were just going to, you know, drop our four like we do every, every month and uh, see you guys on the other side And good Lord. (laughs) I'm glad we decided to go that route because from December 20th on, I was, uh, I was in port, uh, somewhere around December 20th It's all kind of a blur, but, uh, I, I was down for the count and I lived in a 10 by 10 room in the front of the house, um, you know, my wife would put food outside my door like I was a jail <laughs> a jail <laughs> inmate, <clears throat> and uh, that that was it, man. So it uh, it couldn't have come. I mean, here's the deal: it kind of couldn't come at a worse time because my South Georgia rut was pick is picking up. Um, thank God that it happened during our two week Christmas break, which you know it's a two week paid holiday from work. So my wife was able to completely focus on you know, me and what was going on and there wasn't stress about money and everything. So, and somehow my pregnant wife managed not to get it. And if you know anything about COVID or, or respiratory illnesses and pregnant women, once that baby gets to a certain size and she's at 20 weeks now, you know, breathing becomes difficult as it is. And this disease or illness, however you want to call it, it attacks your lungs even more. So, so, um, every day, uh, she tested negative twice and every day, uh, I was like, okay, if I have to lay in here for two weeks and she doesn't get it, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt.
2: No doubt. And I, th- I think you found out some good news that you're having a boy,
1: right? Yeah, it's it, I, I'm excited. I, I really am because I, I know I, I was a boy, so I, I feel like I've got a better idea of how to how to raise a, a young man. We'll see. Uh, I'm sure I'll make some mistakes, but uh, I'm excited to have a hunting buddy. I mean, it's going to be a couple years, but I'm still excited. Yeah,
2: yeah, man. That's awesome. And then it was the best thing. Like I said, you got COVID, but Elena
1: uh, was unfazed by it. So that's great. The good news is it will not impact turkey season or fishing or anything like that. And I still probably will get out and do a little bit of hunting in January here and there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the excitement that I have, as unexciting as that was. <laughs> right? <laughs> But uh, t- today's guest makes up for that lack of ac- of excitement. Tanner Edenfield, he came on last uh, July of 2019 and talked uh, spearing spearing pigs and blow darting pigs. Uh, but his real big passion is chasing whitetails. And uh, this past year, he hunted five different states and hunted all but about 10 to 12 days of the year. And uh, I'll tell you what, we w- every so often we come across a guest that just, Hits the hits the ground running. We started talking on the phone call. He thought we were recording, and I had to like pump the brakes on the conversation and be like, "Hey, hey let's get recording before we
3: lose all this good stuff." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He he definitely uh, hit the ground running, and you're right. It was like, oh uh, well, we're not recording yet. <laughs> Which some of it I <laughs> wish we would have had recorded. Uh, It was actually a good dialogue, yeah. but uh, we transitioned well right into the podcast. And this is going to be one of our longer podcasts. It's probably going to be somewhere around an hour and. 40 to 45 minutes of uh, Tanner talking. So there's a lot of good information in there, especially somebody that uh, hunts as much as he does and the places that uh, he gets to hunt. Yeah, for sure. I like what I like about Tanner is he's like he
1: he's that like practical you 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 struggle to stump him with a good question, right? Because you're like if you were to say how do you kill big deer? He's going to tell you to get in the woods and be out there with him. You know, like he's he's just that guy that that's so straightforward with a uh, with his answers and he's practical about what how he gets after deer. Um you know, I I enjoy talking to him and I'm lucky enough that I talk to him on a, you know, probably a weekly, couple times a week basis. Um uh he's he's, he's a good dude and his passion
3: is um pretty pretty intense for for whitetail, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, you can tell he's got a uh, <laughs> a big passion for whitetails. And like you mentioned, he, he doesn't really sugarcoat anything like he's if you ask him a question he's going to give you exactly how he feels about whatever that question is and he's kind of one of those guys he's he's got a system that works for him and he's not really gonna deviate off of that system and and i think i think that's what plays out for him we had a lot of questions this
1: is man i'll be honest with you we probably asked this guest more like listener questions than than any other, you know, I had the whole Facebook feed popped up, and our Patreon feed had give it, given us a lot of a lot of good questions to ask people or ask Tanner, and I, I felt like we just hit him with question after question. It always just felt like he had he had an answer ready, and, and um, it was always very practical. I think um, I, I think it kind of goes back to the bit the the killers have a process, and oftentimes that process isn't very complicated. I'm not, you know, downplaying them, but they they find what works for them and then they just do it over and over again.
3: Right, yeah, he he's got a a system that he's found that really works for him and that's what he's sticking to and we've talked about that before uh with people like you got your infault, likes to hunt buck beds and uh was it Eberhart, he likes to hunt kind of like uh destination areas, things like that and they, that's what they they know and that's what they've really been successful at and a lot of times when you are that successful, it's kind of hard to deviate off of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we'll we'll get you guys to that episode. I think I think you're going to enjoy it. I think it's one that uh, I think the perspective. I think a lot of people have like this fantasy of what it's like uh, to be on the road that often. And uh, you know, he sleeps in his car. We didn't touch on that, and maybe we can maybe we can talk on that next time we have him on. But I do know he sleeps the majority of the time in the backseat of his car. So it's not a very luxurious lifestyle, but uh, he does what he has to uh in order to um in order to get it done so um uh, before we get to that before we send you guys to that I just want to touch on our Patreon giveaway that we are supposed to announce right now we're not going to do that we will announce it the next episode largely because I'm not organized <laughs> and I haven't had a chance to pick a winner I didn't think about that until about 30 minutes before we scheduled the po- or before we we hit go on the podcast but we will be announcing very very soon the Patreon giveaway winner which is a uh, for the last quarter which is the Alps outdoor pack two Titan straps uh, from or two 20 inch Titan straps that was featured on our YouTube channel and Scree Gear has kicked in a couple of their Kaibab 170 uh, Marina layers as well so we will pick a, a, a winner next episode and we will also announce the details of our upcoming giveaway and I think it's going to be a big hit so you're going to want to be there for that and if you are hearing this and you're thinking I want to get in on some giveaways? If you scroll down to the show notes, there's a link below where you can go and join and support the podcast. The money from the po- the, the that, that comes from Patreon goes towards hosting fees and camera gear and GoPros and travel costs, all the things that make this podcast pos- possible, allow this podcast to grow. Come from Patreon, so we'd love it if you consider supporting the uh, the show over there on
3: Patreon. Yeah, yeah, like you mentioned, or have we got a pretty big uh, Patreon giveaway to start 2021 right, and uh, I think uh, if this is something you're interested in, this is going to be a great giveaway to go ahead and get your feet wet and get in on, and the group that we have, our Marco Polo group, is a great group. Uh, There's a lot of good information uh, that is in that group, and you just get to have good dialogue with other people that kind of hunt around the, mainly the southern u.s but there are some other areas where uh people are from so i think that you kind of if you help support the show in that way then you're going to get a lot more out of it i agree i agree with that everybody
1: here's tanner Edenfield. i hope you enjoy listening as much as we did recording it so let's get to get them to the show let's do it dude what is going on tanner we i am i'm thrilled that uh after months of begging you to come on the podcast that you've uh You've decided to to grace our, our 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 podcast with your presence,
4: man. What you talking about? <laughs> I've been begging you to be on here. <laughs> but,
1: but Tanner sent me a message. I don't know. Maybe mid December, and he was like, "So, you, so you just don't want me on the podcast, huh?" And it was at that moment I recognized that. Uh, I had invited him on numerous times and just, uh, failed to find good time to, <laughs> to fit him in. So, uh, we're, we're remedying that right now because the last time we had you on was July of 2019. And that's just a, I think that's a felony in 13 States.
4: Yeah. And I didn't even get to talk about deer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like it was blow I, uh, guns and spears. Yeah. I, I deer hunt like my entire life. I, deer hunt for like two months and then i get on there and
1: talk about that and don't even get to talk about deer <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I mean back then dude you had like 15 subs right i don't know man july 2019 yeah.
4: Fifteen hundred, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Maybe fifteen hundred. That's
2: right. <laughs> well, we're we're kind of notorious for bringing people on to talk about something
1: completely different than what they're <laughs> it's <known true>. for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah our, that's one of our twenty twenty resolutions: is to bring guests on and talk about uh, the subject matter they probably uh, <laughs> want to. Right. Yeah. Oh man, dude. I uh, was happy to. I was happy to like talk about
4: it, but what was kind of funny was at the end. You were like, how many hogs do you think you've killed with a spear? And I'm like, so clearly you're thinking like I'm an expert. I'm like, uh, one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, No, that was, and
4: I've, man, I, so here was a deal. I said, if I, if I got to where I'd blow darted 10 hogs and never found one, I'd quit. Well, long story short, I quit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't even have to go back to listen to that episode. He doesn't do it anymore.
4: <laughs> it's I mean, it's like you know, you're hiding in a bush trying to get within three yards of a hog. Like this is a time consuming endeavor and it's like the way I deer hunt and then add that on top of it too, like I'm that's like a collision course to being single. Like <laughs> you know, you gotta give a little, you know, but so anyway, I quit messing with the blood darts.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i mean let's not let's not dwell on that since we're guilty of talking about the wrong subject matter but uh you uh i, I think uh people who listened to that first episode knew you as tanner ed and field bow hunting and that was a name that you just kind of picked out for uh, a placeholder uh why don't you kind of tell everybody about your new uh youtube handle you did a, you did a contest
4: yeah i mean actually but I had, I spent like probably every year trying to come up with a name that I liked. And because once I changed it, I didn't want to change it again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So actually, one of the names I already had in mind was Have Bow Will Travel, but then probably 10 different people suggested it too. So uh, anyway, that ended up being the name, Have Bow Will Travel. Um, and then, of course, I got it trademarked and. Once that went through, it changed it on YouTube.
1: Yeah, man. So, are you paying them royalties, those 10 people?
4: Nah. I I (laughs) had it whenever I made the little contest post, I had a stipulation in there. You had to pick something we hadn't thought of already. Oh, okay. Um, But, yeah, I just wanted something a little bit more marketable, you know. And and then, like, you know, suppose I had a buddy that wanted to hunt or something, you know, ideally, I'd like to get some. Some guys around here filming and kind of contributing a little bit and uh you know tanner ed bow hunting is just i don't know same kind of vein and then it's not like scalable not that i'm you know really going to scale it to any astronomical uh proportions but <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh-huh i i have a feeling when it's all said and done uh have bow will travel will be a uh a household, you know, it'll be, it'll, it'll basically replace bone collector when it's all said and done. Yeah.
4: I don't know, man. Maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, man.
4: Why, wh- why? go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, man, why was just blowing up my phone, begging me to join. I'm like, bro, <laughs> chill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you don't shoot Hoyts anyways. So, you know,
4: Yeah, I mean, dude. You know, our thing is shooting medium-sized bucks. Can't let him get on here and make us look bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my 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 role in the relationship here is uh, I, I pretend to be a deer hunter, and Chase does all the killing for me. So. And doesn't film I, any of it. <laughs> 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 it wasn't an ideal situation for the camera at all this year. In fact, I i got to think about this before I say it, but I don't think we got a single kill on camera this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm running
4: behind myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you need to get your cameraman, man, because all the shenanigans you go through. I mean, you you lost yourself a a $1,200 camera this year in a swamp because you were trying to be the cameraman. That's true.
4: Um, I just don't know, man. Like, my thing is, like, I'm not trading half my hunting to, like, Take turns filming somebody, and Mm. it ain't exactly in my budget to hire somebody to follow me around for five months out of the year.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's not exactly cheap. Yeah,
4: and I'm so like fly by the seat of my pants, it's hard to coordinate with anybody really.
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing I think about what you do, and I will kind of get into this as we go. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that, like, I don't know, people, I posted to to Facebook, you know, what do you have, what questions do you have for someone who hunts five states and dang near all but 10 days of the deer season, and, you know, a lot of people are, are, you know, that we got a bunch of questions to pull through, I'm I'm sure we'll naturally hit them, but a lot of them was like, how do you plan for all that, And and I'm sitting over here, like, I get a call from Tanner, he's like, yeah, I'm headed to Kansas for 13 days, or pretty much until it happens, and that's kind of how you do things, man. You just—I think you probably have like a a timeline in in mind, but I mean, you just kind of go.
4: I want to—I just leave my house the first cold front after like October twenty fourth and head to the Midwest. And that's pretty much what I do. Just watch <laughs> the weather. Hey, it's getting cold. Time to get out of here.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminds me how duck hunters act, actually okay so so uh the cold cold fronts push birds down all the time and as a d- as a as a reformed duck hunter who used to be addicted to this kind of thing you would you would try and time your hunts before the cold front got there because the birds would be ahead of that cold front, and so a lot of duck hunters basically sit on go geese hunters as well, and they'll they'll pull up radar maps and when they see a band of rain coming across. You know, three different states. They'll they'll just stop everything, put their whole life on hold, load up the trailer, and get out ahead of that. Like you know, a day or two's worth of flying uh, ahead of that storm, so that they can catch that new wave of birds. So it's kind of a lot like that, where those guys they live a schedule that's based, you know, dominantly on the weather.
4: Like this year in Ohio, I was there for ten days. Probably the first seven days, it was like eighty degrees, which my plan just didn't work out this year because it never got cold. So I was like, well, I might as well just go, you know, like, right. So first seven days, it was like 80 degrees. I didn't, see a, I didn't see a deer I'd shoot in seven days and then, or maybe eight days. And then I saw two shooters the day before I killed. And then I saw then on day 10, I killed mine by like eight, eight thirty 30. Something like that. I mean, and that, and the only difference was it just got cold.
1: You think do you think that's why you killed him or do you think it was just enough time put in that area you, you caught him moving or do you think do you attribute it directly to the cold weather?
4: No, I think I mean directly to the cold. I mean, like I said, I'm I was hunting you know, I hunted for seven days and didn't see a lot of days I didn't even see a deer, dude. And then really the day Okay, yeah, it was seven days of being hot and then day eight I saw one for sure shooter and one maybe shooter day nine. I saw two shooters and then day 10 I saw a shooter and then I had shooters on a couple other cameras too. when I went back and checked them mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, seven days of five or six cameras, not even ha not one camera having a shooter on it in seven days. And then all of a sudden it gets cold and they just come out of the woodwork.
1: Mhm. What is, what, what, okay, so what did your cameras do? What did your cameras show during that time period? Were they just nocturnal to, to find the cool air, or do you think they just literally just don't move much at all because of the heat? Um,
4: I mean, there were some showing up at night. I think, I just think the heat shuts them down. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, I mean, I'm, I would assume they're obviously still looking for does and still moving some. But I don't think they're out walking several miles or anything like that,
1: sure you know what, what do, you, I mean? what, do you, what what degree of cool does it take slash cold do you think to to start getting like what at what point do you start seeing deer movement again is it sixty degrees or is it you know like freezing? I
4: think it, I think it depends where you're at
1: okay. um,
4: so. 80 degrees in Georgia, I don't think would really shut it down like it would in Ohio or like it did in Ohio. And I don't really have a whole lot of frame of reference. This this year was the first time I've ever been there when it was really, really hot because normally mm-hmm. I just wait until it gets cold. But it was hot. I'm like, when well, you When I'm, you
1: wait for it to get cold, what are you normally waiting on?
4: I don't know, 30s, 20s.
1: Gotcha.
4: 20s, ideally. Um, gotcha. But I mean, like, you got lows in the 40s. They're still going to be moving, but they're not going to be moving like they are if it's lows in the teens. Hmm. Um. I just feel like the colder the better.
1: I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I I think that probably bears out honestly to a large extent here. I mean, I don't think that the deer stop moving because it gets cold. I think I think oh, it no. actually kind of plays into their fa- into our favor, doesn't it?
4: Oh, for sure. I mean, it's definitely the colder the better here too. But I'm yeah. just saying, you know, here our deer are not going to have nowhere near the coat that an Ohio deer has. Right. So say it's 80 degrees, that's going to shut our deer down, but it's not Mm going to shut them down like it does up there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That would be like it being 100 degrees here in November.
1: Oh, for sure. I think, think, you know, if it gets, like, brutally cold here, I think it actually almost kind of has the opposite effect um, to an extent because I feel like they're not equipped to handle – I'll I'll put it plainly. I have a cell camera up in Georgia – and the moment, I had, two, I had two days where it got down to 20 degrees, 20, 21 degrees. And the, the action by the camera that day was nonstop. And if you looked at each one of them, they were puffed up like it was freaking snowing outside. And I, I was looking at it then, I was kind of like, huh, okay, well, I bet you those deer are up and moving because they don't have the ability to just sit down. You know, yeah, I it's mean. It's probably cold. A warm-blooded
4: animal, you burn more calories in heat than you do anything. So right. The colder it gets, the more calories you're burning mm-hmm. just to, keep, to maintain your body temperature, and they got to get up and eat. I mean, there just ain't no way around it.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I think it's. I think it. It speaks a lot to you and your drive as a deer hunter uh, that it's that hot and you still put in what nine days you said. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> ten. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't gonna stop you from going. I think, I think honestly, your determination to go and make things happen. One of the biggest questions we got was, you know, like, how does he do it? How does he kill so many deer? And, you know, I didn't. I don't know that uh, <clears throat> I hyped you up as a as a big buck killer, but I mean, you do you do kill a lot of deer, and I think uh, part of that is you just go. and And you've you and I've kind of talked about that before that. Uh, There's a lot of people who, you know, they get tired. Maybe they don't go. They don't fit your your hunting lifestyle. What's it been like trying to find a a hunting partner?
4: I really haven't ever looked. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that there's ever been a time that I've hunted with somebody that I didn't feel like they were quitting. Yeah. I mean, no offense to anybody that's listening that maybe I've hunted with, but (laughs) I mean, like, I don't – I'm hesitant to give too many details. So the last time I went on an out-of-state deer trip with somebody, we we went in my boat, and I'm looking at, like, my thing is, if we if we walk far, we could get away from people. If we went in my boat, we could get away from people. But if we went in my boat and walked really far, we could definitely get away from people. You know what I mean? So I have four or five spots picked out that look good on the map that are, you know, maybe half a mile to a mile off the, the bank. So after we get done, we go and look at the first one, and then he's like, Yeah, I'm not going to be walking that far again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: And then yeah. So, and I haven't, like I said, I just haven't, I really haven't looked for a hunting partner. I mean, there's not, there's not that many people that are going to be have the flexibility in their schedule just to drop what they're doing and go chase a cold front out in the Midwest. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't want to be, like me and you go to Kansas and I shoot something day one, I'm not going to sit there and twiddle my thumbs for a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. While you try to kill one, I'm going to be wanting to go somewhere.
1: Yeah. I I think the only person I know that has as flexible a schedule as you uh, probably is Chase himself just because his work schedule is as forgiving as it is. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. He takes off like two days, and he's off for almost a month of what, what was it? What was it? You took <laughs> off two days, and you were off from mid October to middle of November. I didn't take off two days, but <laughs> it was
2: one. Was I, it one day? No, 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 no. I have the ability to take off that amount of time with no problem. Yeah, uh, but what still, do you do, Chase? I'm uh, a firefighter. I work for the fire department, so I can I can get vacation. I can trade time with people, uh, and I just lined it all up, and I took from. I think it was October 18th through November 21st off where I didn't have to go into work at all this past year. Yeah. Yeah. I just planned everything up to that because I knew down here that's the, the start of it was going to be the best hunting. And then I took off to go on the rut hunt in the Midwest. And when I got back, I knew it would be still somewhat decent down here. So I just took that chunk of time off because i figured those were generally my best odds or or is that probably time frame uh to kill a a mature buck right so yeah yeah i got i got the time but see i got i've got kids and stuff like that so it's not like i can just take off any time i want to on a whim but and i was i was around the house for a lot of that but probably 10 days of that i was out uh chasing bucks in the midwest but Oh yeah. I do have the time.
1: Well, I do have the time. Chase, let's, let's kind of compare real quick. I forgot. It's been, been a long year. I forgot you that you went to, to Iowa during that same warm front that, that Tanner was dealing with. How, how, how does what he say kind of jive with what you saw on public land there in Iowa, which uh, acknowledging the hunting pressure is totally different in Iowa.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of uh kind of the same. I probably, uh, there wasn't any days that I went where I didn't see deer. Um, it was just that I wasn't seeing the mature, the mature bucks out and about. And there was a lot of probably bucks that, uh, I jumped that were already bedded down with those, uh, during that time. And I can say it was, but it was hot the, the whole time I was there. And I mean, unseasonably warm where it's in Iowa. I mean, there were days that it got up to 77, 78 degrees, uh, in the evening times, and they were just the same thing, it was shut down. Uh, there were cam- cameras, you'd see a little bit of movement at night. And then uh, we had to leave because we were actually trying to get back because of that, The I call it the great drizzle of uh, 2020 down here in Florida. <laughs> that was this supposed to be this hurricane or whatever in November. Uh, we were trying to get back before that hit. And there was a guy up there that was hunting. And the weather turned like a day after we left to where it, the high of uh, one of the days was going to be like 35 after we left. And he told me that he he saw nine different bucks that morning, and four of them were shooters. Like instantly the day that it cooled down to where it was high of 34 or 35, um, he was he was seeing that many bucks. And before that, a good day might be where you would see – uh, the most I saw in a day probably was probably four different bucks, in in a in a whole day of hunting. Or hmm. actually, right at the end, I saw more, but that's just because I was moving around. I probably saw like five the morning I left. Um, but other than that, it was the same thing, just super slow. And it was, and I was, there was two other guys hunting. It was the same story pretty much everywhere uh, that week. Or it was hot. So I agree. I told I told, and I told, told and Walter and I told my buddy, I'm like, hey, because he he had to go up there during that time because I went up there with a buddy and he had to be up there during that time frame because he had to be back at a certain time. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think we need to go up that time. I know you have to we, – we have to be up there. I was like, I don't think it's going to be a good idea. And it, it wasn't. And I was like, I'll never do that again where I have set days that I have to go because it was literally a seven-day warm front. And I was like, if we just would have – not gone at that time and went the next week. It was, like I said, that guy kept hunting, and it was like gangbusters for like five straight days of seeing bucks cruising everywhere uh, during that time frame when it was cold. And I was like, I won't ever do that again. If it, I, I So was, I was like, if I got out there and then I found out it was going to be that hot for seven, I was like, I would drive back home and then come back up again <laughs> seven days later.
1: Yeah. It was that big of a difference to me. I, I can't remember who it was I was talking to the other day. But that is not – like, you're not alone in that sentiment of not going Then I think it was – it was Clayton Bond. He was talking about um, uh, hunting Kentucky. He went and hunted Kentucky a bunch this year. And he's like, dude, if I go back, it'll never be X week. It'll be, like, the last week of October. He was – like you know, he said more deer were being killed, and he had his reasons. But he kind of echoed a, a, a lot of what you just said. I think kind
4: of – Appreciate you shouting out where he went. <laughs> oh man, I did. I'm gonna
1: have to bleep that out. God, man. <laughs> I'm sure like he long. does appreciate that.
0: Uh, <laughs> Golly, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. he's like, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm gonna avoid entire month of October now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I just put that out there, and that—that's something I really hate in people. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, we can cut it out.
1: Good news is this isn't live. (laughs) But I I wonder, I wonder, though, like, I don't know, maybe this is maybe you guys don't have an opinion on this, but you know how everybody has uh, the hot new way to kill deer and everybody flocks to do it. And all the social media guys and the YouTube guys start emanating it. And then it becomes the next big craze, kind of like, you know, you know, using a climber and stuff like that. I, I wonder if that was the like, big
4: craze back in 1990.
1: <laughs> yeah, Appreciate you, Tanner. <laughs> I, I teed that one up for you because you're an avid climbing uh, climber user. Uh, but I, I wonder if like, I wonder how long before that, that first week of October isn't as effective anymore because THP has been pushing it and, you know, Parker's been pushing it and Chase, you're picking up on it. Like, I wonder how long before that no longer is as effective.
4: Depends where you're at, I guess. You're saying the that's first true. week of October?
1: No, the last week of October.
4: Oh, last week of October. I mean, mm-hmm. it ain't. I think I don't think that's anything new, bro. Um,
1: you don't think so? Even nah, though, like, it seems like most people like plan their vacation for the first week of November.
4: Well, I mean, I mean, it's kind of understood that there's going to be the most people there, the peak of the rut. Um, but. I, mm. I guess I didn't understand what you're saying. You're saying you're speaking directly as to the pressure on a, a public piece of land.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah,
4: so, yeah never mind. Like,
1: like, I wonder, I wonder as, like, because cause public land hunting is becoming more and more popular, right? We're hearing people complain about it all the time. Uh, there's people building entire platforms that's, like, anti-public land hunting and, and celebrating private land hunting. And so, as that grows... And that pressure hits that first week of November, and then people go and they experience that, and they come away with it with Chase going, the chases start going, okay, well, that first week of October, or I'm sorry, I did say that earlier. Okay. The last week of October, um, like, I wonder if that doesn't become the more, like, is there not a shift that'll occur? And then does the second weekend of November become the, 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 the good time to go? I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud like an idiot. Yeah,
4: I don't know. I think anytime between, like, October 25th and, like, the middle of November, probably going to be... I mean, you got pretty... Like, I would pick... the Like, if it was going to be cold the last week of October, I'd pick that every time over the peak of the rut, and it's hot.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: That's just me. Um, but now, as far as the... The pressure on public land, I mean, the deer's still going to move during the rut. It's just a matter of you know how many how many people you're having to compete against you know
1: yeah well it's like water access water access got its popularity and now it's harder to get away from people because hundred dollar kayaks can be had anywhere and now people go deeper longer so they stay further
4: i might catch some flag for saying this i think right now is probably the worst time to get into public hunting (laughs) why is that because everybody's doing it yeah i mean there's there's I mean, and they, don't get me wrong. You can still find spots that don't get touched, but there's, I mean, you yeah, know, there's definitely an increase in the popularity of it. Yeah. What I like to do is if I'm going to hunt public nine times out of 10, I'm getting on X and finding a private landowner that's nowhere near a gate and going and knocking on their door and asking them if I can at least cut through their land to get to the public. Mm. And, uh, or can I hunt your land, but if I can't, can I at least cut through
1: it? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's kind of spend some time on that, though, because that's something that has always impressed me about you, is your not only your success rate, but your persistence in asking for permission. Um, and I know that's something that scares a lot of people. And maybe the, scared is the wrong word, and I'm sure there's somebody who's like, oh, don't call me a, you know, a pansy. I'm not trying to say it like that, like you're scared of the dark. But I think probably – more people than they would like to admit don't ask for permission because they're worried about hearing no, or, like, what do I say? How, how did you kind of go about asking for permission? Did you just get tired of hunting public, and then that fed into you just walking up and asking somebody and then um, in from it?
4: Not really. I mean, I never I even never hunted public until a couple of years ago. I just, like, growing up, I would talk to every single one of my friend's parents and find out how much land they had, if anybody hunted it, and got a few spots that way and then um i just started realizing like if you just seem nice people will let you hunt you know <laughs> so and then of course as my as my painting business grew i'm just constantly running into people so you know a lot of us came through that and then i started you know just i guess through that i just realized it's not really not that hard i mean people will, especially if you tell me you're a bow hunter People will give you permission. I mean, yeah. if you just seem like a nice guy.
1: <laughs> so you know, I, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it because I think it's funny as, as can be. What's the uh, What's the Tanner Edenfield, uh painting discount if, if somebody lets you hunt their property?
4: I guess it depends how much land it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you told me one time you got permission to hunt like 50 acres because you gave a lady like 100 bucks off the job or something like that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that is that true? I can't remember the specific time that you asked, you. but, yeah, I mean, normally it'd be something like that, and they're thinking, like, great, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, if I would have leased this, it would have been, like, 500 bucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, like, I'll go, when I knock on doors, I don't just be like, hey, can I hunt here? I always generally offer to trade them some painting work, and to this day, I have never had to paint anything. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Just the—I I think just the fact that you're not just asking for a straight-up handout helps.
3: You
0: know, right.
1: is that um, your—is that your go-to? Trying to, you know, be friendly, but then on top of that, make yourself look like you're not just—like, is that the winning combination? Friendly bow hunting, not just asking for a handout.
4: Um, yeah, I think that definitely contributes. Because uh, you know they're thinking eventually I'm going to need something painted, but then it's like the other day. I'm, go, I'm out there putting a camera up at a house that I had just knocked on their door and got permission on. And they're like, yeah, I need to get you a quote. I need to get a quote from you on painting something. So, like, they've already forgot I even offered to trade them any painting.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Which, I mean, obviously I'm going to give them a hookup, but... <laughs> that property is crazy, man. It's like eight acres... And the guy next door leases, like, 400 acres, and I have every one of his shooters in daylight on that eight acres. <laughs> oh. Like, I send, I'll i send him pictures I, as I get them, you know, like. Is, I mean, he's a buddy of mine. Like, have you seen this buck? He's like, yeah. And then I'd send him another one. Have you seen this buck? And he's like, yeah. And then finally i send him a couple more. And he's like, yeah, you officially have every single one of my shooters on camera in daylight. <laughs> like uh, this guy's a awesome. show. All about being in the right spot, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds like if you ever want to buy a property and you you want to know if it's worth hunting, uh, just give Tanner Edinfield permission and he'll be able to confirm for you one way or the other.
4: Right. I mean, like that property there in particular, I knew it was a good spot. Like I've been, I've been trying to get that one for like four years, and it was like the first owner was selling it, and it sat there empty forever. I talked to the realtor. they letting the realtor hunt it. And finally, somebody bought it and went and talked to them, and they were cool. So,
1: how many now, people do you think you ask a year?
4: Um, it's not been as many here lately because now I've got like, like I guarantee you, there's like big shooters that I don't know about because I haven't had time to put a camera on like all the properties that I have permission on. You know, so I would say now. Like, this year, I haven't gone out of my way and knocked on any doors because, well, number one, because of COVID. i take that back, I knocked on one, but mainly because of COVID. um, But, say, next year, I don't have any shooters, or I'm not, I don't feel like I've got big enough deer on camera. I'm going to knock on five or ten doors every day, probably, until I find something that, you know, get three or four more properties to check out.
1: And that's, what, what? and that's regardless of what state you're in?
4: No, I mean, that's here. Because like, here I can just go, like, you know, say there's a property I want. I can just drive past their house every day until I see my at home, you know? Like, <laughs> right. out of state, I normally prefer to write letters because it's, it's hard to catch them dang farmers at home, bro. Like, last <laughs> year in Kansas, I knocked on this guy's door like five times. And never caught him at home, and then finally the last day I caught him at home and ended up getting permission, but I was already tagged out. <laughs> then I didn't get to hunt it this year because I couldn't draw a tag. <laughs> I feel
1: I feel like somebody listening to this is is, is sitting there like, God, you know that truck has driven up and down the road a bunch. I wonder if that's Tanner looking for that dude. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Good possibility.
5: <laughs>
2: what what's Go I want to ask Jason. What's your uh, success rate? When you ask for permission,
5: um, door
4: knocking.
2: Yeah, just door knocking, or in, generally asking.
4: Door knocking. If they don't already hunt it, I'd say I probably get fifty percent. But overall, I'd say 30 percent. I mean, a lot of them hunt, or or have a family member that hunts, or whatever. And then letters. If you get if you get two percent, you did really good.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I used to, I used to think it would be a higher percentage. Like, I think, I I think you and I talked about that before Tanner and, um, my, my success rate via knocking on doors is zero. Whereas writing letters, I get about 10%. I get a response about 10% of the time. Um, I've, I've actually gotten permission to hunt places that once I got there, it was like, this is not what it looked like on, on X. Yeah. Um, but I also don't write near the like. I think if I were to write more letters, I think my my percentage would would dip. I don't I don't think it would improve or stay the same. Yeah,
4: it's hard to say. Um, the other thing about not, you're talking about the winning combination. If you already have permission, like next to them, it seems like it's a lot easier. Like, right? Been a lot of, okay, like for example, now like. Um, where I killed the baby 13 last year. I had permission on one track, but I ended up adding 50 more acres to it by asking three different people if I could walk through their property to get to that track. And then, you know, that's not a big ask. I'm not even asking to hunt there. All I want to do is walk through. And then you become friends with them, and then you can hunt it too.
1: Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I saw... um... Taylor Chamberlain in one of his videos, he was the slickest move I've ever seen in my life. He shot a deer and the deer went across because you know he hunts these like twenty five hundred square foot lots. And (laughs) I mean seriously, some of the places he hunts, it's ridiculous. But um, I I love Taylor. I'm just picking at him. But the deer runs across this dude's property and he walks up there and and he's getting permission just to get the deer. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, 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 do what you need to. And and He's, like, super chill about it. You can tell this guy's, like, never hunted before. He's super apprehensive at first. He wins him over. And the guy's like, yeah, do what you want to. And he's like, oh, okay, I can I can go get the deer or can I also hunt here? And the guy was like, and, you know, it was like he opened the door and, you know, got permission to, to to blood track, won him over on that, and then stepped in. He's like, yeah, so I totally got another property. I'm like, yep, that's that that was slick. Like, that that was clever. So I could see how, like, getting permission to walk would also lead to that as well. Like, just – yeah, across the property. So
4: there's a saying in uh, in marketing or networking that people want to do business with someone that they know, like and trust. Sure. And it's it's kind of the same principle in getting permission. Like if you can if you can in a thirty second door conversation convince somebody to feel like they somewhat know you, like you and trust you, that's usually all it takes. Mm-hmm. Course, you yeah. got the benefit yeah. of the internet too. Like, they're going to look you up. So, especially if you write a letter. So, that's something to keep in mind too. If you're going to be writing letters, then you need to doctor up your Facebook and, you know, any social yeah. media. that They can look up and check on you.
1: For sure. It kind of gives you the upper hand on them too. Because one of the places that I, I asked for permission, I noticed uh, it was like a family of brothers owned four different lots that all came together. They were 50 acre lots. Um, and I got permission from one of them and he was like, well, let's go talk to Steve. I don't, I don't even think that was his name, but let's go talk to Steve. And I almost got permission to hunt the other three. And I knew who they were before I went there. And one of the reasons why I did that was cause like, man, if I can get permission for one of them, he'll probably introduce me to everybody else as well. You know, like I've got the end right then and there. All right. Yeah. So, how do you how do you actually plan your trips though? Because you hunt a bunch of different states. How like if a lot of it is by by whim or by weather? Are you just you know Kansas is best in this time of year, so I go there? Or like how do you how um, do you decide which one you're going to go to first?
4: So basically, um, and it change it kind of changes every year. So basically, what I do is if a state sucks, I never go there again. And I try to find something else.
1: And I what saying, states suck
4: well i'm not saying like if a if a spot in kentucky sucked, i'm never going to kentucky again i'm just saying like uh, okay <laughs> like if i had a lease in kentucky and it sucked then i would never go to, then i wouldn't do it again so then i would just and I, i'm sure a lot of it's kind of random i mean i might just well i want to write some letters to Indiana or you know whatever and just so basically whatever i can find that year you know what i mean I and you. then if it's good, I'll keep it. Like I'll never let Kansas go. I'll never let Ohio go. Um, just because I've got my feet in there enough, and I'll have decent. De- I know that I'll be able to maybe not kill good deer every year, but be on them every year. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so, um, and then just kind of go from there. I mean, like this year, I didn't, I didn't hunt as many states, but I was. I, I couldn't draw Kansas, so I said I was just going to spend a lot of time in Ohio and try to kill a really big one. And I think mostly the heat just kind of shut that down. Um, anyway.
1: what is What does the scouting look like in this regard? So you write all these letters in the off season. Do you ever drive out there in the middle of the summer and, and put up cell cams, or do you drive to public and walk it during the spring, or is is that all kind of reserved for – for deer season itself
4: pretty much deer season itself so okay. the first year i went out of state i had made nine trips to kentucky by basically by the time deer season started and i had i had like a really big nine pointer probably 135 inches full velvet showing up every single morning and evening you know i would made all these trips up there i had him pretty much figured out he was, he was coming out of this cutover, over and there was a thin strip of woods leading to the, the soybean field across the road.
0: And every morning he'd be heading back
4: into that cover and every evening he'd be heading out of it. I was like, so I'm like, yep, this is a done deal right here. And, uh, like I said, it took me probably seven or eight trips to, to find him. And then another trip or two to go out there and feed him and change cameras. I mean, change batteries in the camera. And, uh, maybe like four days four or five days before deer season he quit showing up so i just happened to be talking to the neighbor he's like man you seen any good deer i was like man i had a really good one coming in every morning and evening and he just disappeared he's like big nine-pointer i'm like yeah he's like let me send you a picture you're gonna want to see this this deer (laughs) gets hit by a car like two days before the season opens on a gravel road that you could honestly sit there for an hour and never see a car. (laughs) I was like, yep, screw that. I'm not like, it's, it's too much effort to, to drive six. I mean, so like you kill a deer early season by doing your research and doing everything right. You kill one deer in the rut by being lucky. And I was like, yeah, it's too much effort to drive six to eight, 10 hours enough times to have a good chance at getting on an early season deer Mm -hmm. um so and then i mean your scouting don't really you know i mean if i went all throughout the summer you're not really looking at fresh sign you know what i mean yeah so i just now i just go up when it's right
1: you know it's it's funny because i asked you one time i was like it was this past season. It was this season. Yeah, yeah, It was this season. And I said, hey, man, it's November. You must be getting really excited. And you were like, not really. <laughs> it's the rut. And you were like, yeah, I know. But I, I really I really don't like care hunting the rut because you like to hunt patterns and pad- patternable deer. Well, I,
4: like, I hate hunting the rut here in Georgia. I love oh, hunting okay. in, the, in the Midwest.
1: <laughs> I got you. That was a Georgia-specific so, so here, statement.
4: Yeah, so I'll have like – I mean, I'll have like 15 or 20 mature bucks that I have a pretty good tabs on every year here. And it's like the rut gets here and I have no idea where to be. They're all gone. They're not doing what they're supposed to be or what they've been doing for, you know, 75% of the deer season. I know exactly what they're doing. Then the rut gets here and they just, they run around like idiots and chase girls. And it frustrates me hunting them here because it's hard to just, like, I have all these all this information, like, catalog of what this deer does. It's hard to throw all that away and just go sit in a random tree, which is what you really need to be doing, you know, like, during mm-hmm. the rut. But that's hard to do, and that's part of the reason I leave during the rut.
1: <laughs> well, what state's the best state to hunt during the rut? I mean... You had to hunt one the rest of your life. Based on your experiences, what would you do? Based on my experiences, Kansas,
4: um, I would have to assume Iowa was better. That's what everybody says, anyway.
1: I don't know. Chase didn't kill anything when he went out there.
4: Yeah, but it was hot. <laughs>
1: it was. It was. This season was not what we expected in so many different ways, but, you know, that I mean, is also the hunting season.
4: Kansas, to me, is the closest thing to heaven on earth. Uh, Why? just amazing i don't know i mean it's just and you might you might have the same chances of killing a big buck in ohio or somewhere but you're gonna see a freaking big one every day in kansas Mm. you know what i mean he might be 900 yards away but you're the whole time you're seeing them it's exciting you talk about getting footage too i mean there's you can get like you can get more footage in a dang day in Kansas than you can in a week in Georgia. Easy.
1: Yeah. Because of the lack of cover, they're just always in the open? Yeah, I right? mean,
4: you just see so many deer because you can. Yeah. The woods is 10 yards on each side of the creek, and that's it. <laughs> like, the deer, if a buck wants to check more than one group of does, he's got to run across the field.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So you see so many more deer, you know? Sure. And they're I don't know, I mean they're not they're kind of stupid too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is everything Eberhart has said about Kansas is true. Do what now? Every everything Eberhart has has said about Kansas is true. Are you aware of his comments about Kansas? No sir. I'm not. He, he I don't know. I don't I'm just going to paraphrase, but basically he thinks Shooting, shooting deer in Kansas is like shooting fish in a bucket. <laughs> it kinda, I mean, it kind of is. Yeah. Like,
4: so, here's the thing. Say we, me and you went to, like, the spots I have to hunt in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Say I put you in what we decided was the worst tree on the property, and I sat in what we decided was the best tree on the property. My chances of killing would not be that much higher than yours. Like, hmm Like, the trees, the deer run along the creeks. That's what they do. That's the only trees. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you're in a tree, a deer is going to bed under you at some point within a week. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not that way everywhere in Kansas, but where I'm at, the cover is just so limited that if you're in the woods, you got a pretty good chance of killing a good deer.
1: Yeah. I could see that. So so given that you get to hunt all these states and you have all this time, what are your expectations for Whitetail? Do they shift with each season or do you, you know, go out of state and say this is the only thing, you know, this or bigger and I'm not pulling the trigger?
4: Um, so here in Georgia I try to I try to kill five year olds and older because I got plenty of time to hunt Georgia. And I ain't saying I won't shoot a giant and I'll shoot whatever whatever tickles my fancy. I mean, if I got a three acre property and a really nice three year old's there, I ain't saying I won't shoot them. But generally, I try to shoot. Well, I mean, I, I normally hunt the the four or five biggest deer I get on camera, and generally those are five and older. Um, and then of course, like this time of year, if I If I had a mature dink, I'd shoot them, you know, but when it it comes out of state, a lot of, a lot of times it's like, depends how much time I have and how many states I'm trying to hunt, uh, and what I have on camera, I mean, generally, I feel like a true shooter in the Midwest would be like 140 or bigger, but I have had a really hard time finding places that I can even get pictures of a deer that big, you know, like. I don't know. Maybe my expectations are too high, but like, like if I go to Kentucky, if say I lease some land in Kentucky or got permission somewhere, I'm gonna go up there with the hopes of killing like a, I guess like a 140. But if I run cameras, if I run five cameras for a week and don't have a picture of one, I'm liable to shoot a 120 year old and go to another state.
1: <laughs> how do you? How do you think that matches up with people's? Um, like people who don't get as much time and maybe don't have the, I don't want to say resources because what you've done, you you, every all the you know the resources you have are are obtainable by everybody else, right? Like the permissions and everything. But for someone who maybe doesn't have that that like apparatus set up right now, do you think people by and large set themselves up for failure with with what they go out there to to shoot, or do you think? I don't know really what I'm asking here per se, but it seems like a lot of people go out there trying to kill a Boone and Crockett buck or a Pope and young buck. And I hear a lot of times people being like, looking back, I wish I had shot something else.
4: Yeah. I mean, you just have to shoot what you're happy with. It's hard to, I mean, that's how you define failure. I mean, some guys, if they, you know, if you, it's just a personal thing. I mean, some guys, wouldn't be happy to shoot just 120 inch deer so why shoot one you know might as well wait for something that's going to make you happy um sure that's why to me i mean if georgia had unlimited tags i would shoot every 100 inch deer i saw i mean i will freaking i'll shoot 100 inch deer and come so unglued i can't even climb down out of the stand so (laughs) i mean i just try to be realistic for how many tags i have how long i have and What's in the area? You know what I mean? If I've got several, you know, say I, it hadn't happened yet, but say I, I was out of state and ran cameras and had several 140 inch deer on camera, I'm not going to shoot a 120, but um generally it's like,
1: this is what's in the area,
4: you know? Like, sure. Just try to shoot. You know, if I run four or five cameras in Ohio, I'm going to hunt the two or three biggest deer i guess you know right
1: has that ever has that ever backfired on you shooting something that you were happy with only to regret it later
4: yeah so last year in kentucky um there was a i had four or five decent bucks on camera there was one buck that was probably i'm gonna guess like 135 inch 10 pointer he had never showed up in daylight so i really had I didn't have real high hopes of killing him, so this nice, you know, pretty nice nine-pointer comes in. I shoot him, lower my bow down. I'm climbing down the tree. I'm not halfway down the tree, and this the, the really big buck comes by at, like, 25 yards. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's just – if I would have just waited five more minutes, it would have been a done deal. I mean, just would have been a chip shot. So yeah,, uh, there has been times I've regretted it.
1: <laughs> Was that the I guess buck that I gave you hell about? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I remember that. I'm happy
4: with him, I guess. <laughs> 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 well, he ended up being a lot... I mean, I knew he wasn't giant, but he ended up being a lot smaller than I thought, and he died in the worst place a deer could possibly <laughs> ever die. He like I don't know if my shot killed him or the fall killed him. I mean he like <laughs> I got to that ravine and I said if that deer made it across this ravine, there is no chance I'm finding him. And I looked down and down and down and down and there he was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: I mean, I shot the deer at eight thirty in the morning and I it was like it was dark before I got him out.
1: Jeez, man you have the heck a heck of a time this year you had like six minutes of youtube video dedicated to you trying to get your quad out of a, out of a ravine
4: yeah i mean it's kind of become ever since that video it's kind of become like a um you know it's, it's like it's almost like an a tanner video if they're in some kind of atv drama
1: throwing 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 all the stuff off the back of it jumping uh, logs and stuff it goes back a ways yeah yeah well one of the questions we had was kind of what is your hunting style um uh in our patreon group we've got a small group of you know guys who support the show financially and so we have a a marco polo group where where we you know talk to them and everything um one of our our oldest patrons uh craig groom was asking kind of (coughs) like What is your, what does it look like for you? Are you hunting bedding? Are you hunting food sources? What is your style? And one of the things I kind of said to him was, it seems like you're kind of willing to do whatever it takes to kill a deer, but you also, you and I have had a lot of conversations about how you think, you know, I'm not going to phrase this well, you can correct me, but how people make it harder than it, than it should be. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Um.
4: So to me, I would say in Georgia, I'm primarily hunting bedding or a buck's core area. I mean, like I said, down here, you're not going to find a buck's bed. Generally, what I do, and I know I'll catch some slack for this, but down here, I hunt over corn probably 90% of the time. And if you think about, you could almost put it like, so you know how a GPS figures your location you're this far from this satellite this far from this satellite this far from this satellite yeah so if i have four corn piles on a property and a buck say a buck hits one at or let's just say i have one okay i would look at a property and i would say here's the thick stuff and he's bet, he's probably bedded somewhere in there so you know say it's a a transitional line or an edge of like a clear cut and open hardwoods right
1: Mm
4: -hmm. So I put a camera up and I put some corn out and say he's there at 10 o'clock. I would, I would think, okay, I'm, I'm somewhat close to his bed, but I'm not that close. I might wait a week or two. And if he don't ever come any earlier than 10 o'clock, I might go 300 yards this way down the line and 300 yards this way down the line and generally keep moving until I can get him hitting it like right at dark or in daylight. And you know, people, People talk crap about it, but it's just kind of one of those things, like, to me, that's the only way you're finding where a buck's bedding in the south. I mean, like, you got 150 acres of stuff that you cannot crawl through. You're not going to go find the exact two square feet that a buck's laying down on. And like Chase was saying earlier, he might have – ten spots in there that he'll lay down. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah. Anyway so here in Georgia, I normally try to find a buck's core area and ninety percent might be a stretch. Probably seventy five percent of the time I hunt over corn. And the rest of but once I know his core area, I mean, you can that you don't really need corn. I mean, I think it's easier to kill a buck without it with a rifle, but I think it's easier to kill one on film with a bow over corn you know what i mean like
1: sure
4: i can go when i figure out a bucks core area i can go see him easier by hunting just natural sign but i can get him to stand still and model for the camera and be within bro range easier over corn but then out of state i look for what i would call the the limiting factor or the most limited factor basically that means a deer needs food water and bedding to survive and he's got to walk between the three So, whichever of those is the most limited is going to concentrate the deer the most. For example, in Kansas, there's almost no cover. So, if you're in the thick stuff, there's going to be deer crammed in there. And then you think about, you think about a buck during the time period I'm there is wanting to sniff as many does as he can. So, generally what I end up hunting is, two thin strips of woods separating two bigger blocks of woods because the deer is limited in the amount of cover so you assume any block of woods is going to have does in it how's the, the buck going to get between the two you know what i mean but then you look at like you know farther west it might be water you can sit on a watering hole and see all the you know see more deer than you would anywhere else um down here in the south i'd say the most limiting factor is probably food and that's why baiting works so good uh well really? I say work, you think
1: the limiting factor in the south is food
4: it's definitely not water or cover
1: well sure well okay.
4: food, food isn't really that limited either though so right and that's i hear what you're saying the of the, south, the three
2: it might harder. be yeah maybe maybe quality food
1: yeah yeah
4: yeah i mean a deer so a deer's got lots of brows um you know but he doesn't have a a cornfield and go eat his, eat out to his heart's content um, down here, and then to me, what I've found that makes it that concentrates them better than anything is really steep areas, like say like Ohio or Eastern Kentucky, finding the geofunnels in there, to where they might they might go when they're cruising or go between food and bedding. Especially like my style of hunting, which is showing up to another state, showing up to a state and basically trying to kill something as quick as I can and move to the next state or you, you kind of get to speed scouting and that, that key in on that limiting factor seems to work the best for that, especially, which I mean, I guess somewhere to walk, I don't know if you, I'm not exactly sure how to phrase that, you know what I mean? but
1: Security cover?
4: Well, you got food, water, and bedding, and the path they take between them. But when sure. you get to those those really steep spots, like Ohio higher in eastern Kentucky, and the you, I generally key in on the path they take between them. But the, that, it, to me, is like a lot more conducive to speed scouting because I can look at a I can pull up the topo on Onyx and draw an X on a map in Ohio. And when I get there, ninety percent of the time it looks just as good as I think it should in my mind. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: whereas like even say kansas like the you know the cover limits them and concentrates them down a lot but you go, you still have to you still sometimes have a hard time keying in on them because they'll just do weird stuff like walk walk across the field you know like where being from the south i'd be thinking a deer would never do that um so anyway yeah i guess if i had to sum up my style in one one phrase, it would be finding the most limited factor and keen in on it. But
1: hmm. yeah, I could see that. I I never, I've never heard you put it that way though. It's 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 it's, it's taking me a second to process it because you, we've we've talked about the limiting factors, but I don't think I've ever I've ever heard you like kind of tie it in like that. And and I can see when you when you say it's things like that, it kind of makes sense why hunting in the, the deep south is so difficult. Because, because you get down there's really no
4: true limited factor.
1: Sure. Yeah. And and I've always talked about that but use different words, right? Like a lack of topography. You know, a lack of diversity of of true a true diversity of habitat, right? Or a scarcity of habitat. You're you're totally you're totally right. There's there's no limiting factor. And then on top of that, with the exceptional one state that you can talk about, it feels like Southern Deer skittish as hell. For sure, man. Except for West Virginia. West Shoot. Virginia takes king, right?
4: Well, the West Virginia, it was like they would pick you out in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, honest to God, the deer. I ended up sh- shooting that walk. I was fifty feet in the air, no doubt about it. Like my buddy knew where I was at, and like we were coming in to look at my arrow. And, uh, see if we can find it. And I, I still had deer under me. So I told him to drive up on the four wheeler and run them deer off. So I didn't spook them. So he drives up on me and he cannot figure out where I'm at. And when he finally sees me, he, his jaw drops. He's like, Oh my God. <laughs> and I had hunted 30, 35 feet for three or four days and had been picked out every single sit. So I was like, I'm just going to see what it takes to not get seen by these deer. And I'm 50 feet in the air and that deer's 10 yards away and just looks straight up. I mean, it blew my mind. But then on the flip side, they would walk, they'd walk across where you walked in and not pay it any attention. Whereas here in Georgia, if a mature doe crosses your entry path, you're getting blown at probably 95% of the time. Mm. And that's like, and that's like, I don't care if you're, wearing every carbon suit you can find washed all your clothes took a shower rubber boots it don't matter if they cross where you walked in is especially like in the woods it's normally a done deal if you're on like a wide open road or something like a logging road and you're not brushing up against any cover you might get away with it sometimes but anyway yeah those those west virginia deer were they'd pick you out but other than that i wouldn't say they were you know, like a southern deer is is a lot more likely to run off. I mean, even mm-hmm. when they pick you out, they're not. A lot of times, they wouldn't blow if you just sat still. They just and kind of ignore
5: it. You know.
1: Yeah. How uh, do you? Tanner, go
2: go ahead. Ahead. Are there are there a bunch of does in Georgia compared to bucks? Like, what do you think the buck to doe ratio is?
4: I would say overall, probably. Two to one, I guess.
2: I'll two to one? In. Okay.
4: I mean, it's hard to say. Some of my better properties, I would say, would almost be one to one. But I'd say, like, the, st- like the state as a whole, there's two or three does for every buck.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because, what, do y'all, y'all get ten does and two bucks?
4: Yeah. I mean, almost nobody kills ten does, though.
2: Right. But even if they're killing four or five
4: right whenever but whenever you hear but you got to figure the bucks are killing each other a lot of times wait what yeah so you're killing those but bucks have a lot higher natural mortality rate
1: oh okay i see it right. when they
2: when they get older yeah yeah
4: like they're and they don't do it as bad here because our buck to doe ratio is a lot better, but like somewhere like Kansas or somewhere like that, where it's closer to one to one, bucks kill each other like all the time, like a lot. Like every deer you see has scars and he's and is limping.
1: Right. Yeah. Do you think that's yes. indicative of a good of a good buck to doe ratio there though? Because I don't see that here in Florida.
4: Right. They're they're fighting. There's a lot more competition for the does. I mean, it, right. They, Like, if you see a doe being chased, it's usually more than one buck chasing her. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and that's probably why you like to hunt right there.
4: Honest to God, I've probably seen it. I've actually probably witnessed a buck chase a doe in Georgia less than 10 times in my life. What? Like, I mean, honestly. But you go to Kansas and you might see it 30 times in a week.
2: Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, in Florida, I I mean, I would have to say that I I don't know what the buck to doe ratio is, but I would assume it's probably at least four or five to one, probably does to bucks somewhere in that area. Because I heard something somewhere it was like, it's probably not off as much as you think it is. And usually the highest buck to doe ratio that they normally see somewhere is usually in that four or five does to one buck uh, area. Yeah, when
4: you hear people saying they have a 10-to-1 buck-to-doe ratio, that just doesn't exist, really. I mean, maybe some vast extreme case, but right, yeah. So it, that 50% of the fawns are male and 50% are female generally. That, that levels it out to where it's never going to be more than like four or five.
2: Yeah, yeah, for the most part. I mean, and Florida's changed their rules because before you could shoot two bucks a day every day for the season and only shoot does – during archery and then limited during like uh general firearm time. But uh, I think I, I've seen, I've seen a ton. I mean, heck I've seen in Florida, I've, I've probably seen 11 or 12 bucks chasing does in one sit, but, and it's a, it's a small window, but I also think, and that's young bucks, but like, I think for like the more mature bucks down here, a lot of times is what you get is there is no competition for a mature buck. Like, Uh, like a big, true, mature buck's not fighting anybody really for a doe. Like he's on does from the get-go and stays on does probably two and a half months of the season is that's what he's focused on. And I think a lot of that's why it's a little bit harder here where you can easily kill a two, three-year-old, well, I'd say probably two, two one-and-a-half, two-and-a-half-year-old bucks because they're the ones out chasing all the time and the big boys here don't really have to chase at all because the doe groups they they know where the doe groups are and there's usually 4 or 5 in a group and they're not happen and they're not really the ones ever pursuing the does unless it gets like really towards the end of the season when they've run out of does at that point they might be chasing a doe around in the daylight where it just doesn't really happen as much down here because they they don't really have any competition of the other bucks or worrying about fighting them or anything like that. Very rarely do you see a fight. You might see some sparring and stuff on camera, but it's I've never seen a fight. Like in Florida, like my buddy has. I know one buddy that's seen like some knockdown dragout fights, but I've never seen one. And you don't hardly ever encounter any bucks that have scars or anything like that where they've been poked uh, by other bucks. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a knockdown
4: dragout. Um, like bachelor groups, I've seen them fight like every day, but like, on, you know, like on camera, they'll fight every single day. But as far as like actual true fight, I've never seen it. Right. Um, yeah.
1: that's an interesting point, Chase, because you're right. A mature deer on the, on the landscape here doesn't have any competition.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, No. Yeah, I'm um, I mean, not saying much like bigger, like like bigger in the antler department, whatever you right. want to call them. But for the most part, yeah, he's he's got his territory and he, he just he's running that territory and he's breeding whatever does he wants, because a lot of our smaller bucks, I mean, are small. They're they're not yeah. going to go up against a mature buck here. I mean, the, the difference in body weight is probably 50, 60 pounds <laughs> or, or yeah. more that yeah. you're going up against, and their headgear doesn't even go together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. It's some of the stuff you're seeing trying to fight, it's like they, they might put their heads together, but then it's over. Um, so I've seen some small bucks and stuff kind of fight, but for the big bucks, I don't think they're ever really out there. They're not having to try very hard, basically. It's just not – they don't have to try hard, whereas in Kansas or some of these other Midwest states, there are more mature bucks out there that they've got to compete against. And the doe ratio is closer to the one-to-one or two-to-one or whatever it is. So they're, they're, they are they're really are survival of the fittest out there as opposed to here where pretty much all of them are getting laid. It's just the bigger ones don't have to try <laughs> very hard. Right.
4: And you also have to figure the intensity of their run. So, like, our run, like, as far as, like, the activity that you actually witness – our rut like our deer here in Georgia are basically mutts like you have some native stock and stock from different places and as a result your rut is spread out a lot more whereas like that's why or part of the reason why you don't ever have the days where you see 15 bucks you know what I mean like yeah whereas there it's like the rut is like all systems go for a couple weeks and it's wide, freaking open because it's a pure, it's like one pure strain of deer, and that's when they rut.
2: Right, and they have to because of weather reasons up there, like in Iowa or whatever. Like they have to kind of breed at a certain time, or the fawn survival rate for the next year uh, is a lot lower. Whereas in the South, they don't ever have a cold enough weather to worry about fawn survival rate down here. I mean, and there are some areas that. Have flooding like we've talked about before, like down in South Florida and some of the areas where there's these areas that flood certain times of the year, and they either rut a lot sooner than everybody else. And down in South Florida, I mean, the rut start; they're already rutting August first when they're starting to hunt down there. August first is is when their rut is, um, and it's full bore open for the most part. But like in in some of these other areas, like I said, there are deer from different parts of the country, and the fact is that they don't have to worry about it, and there are more does, so they don't get to all the does first go around when they come into estrus. They have to hit them the second time when they come in, or third time when they come in. So it's just a, it's just that trick. I call it a trickle rut, where it just seems like yeah. it
1: kind of trickles uh, a lot of the season.
4: Yeah, no doubt.
1: Yeah, and and I think I think you, the more I think about that ratio you talked about in Georgia, do you think that that probably holds true on public land as well?
4: It's hard to say. Um, yeah, I've only hunted public land in Georgia like twice in my life.
1: It, but it is remarkably better than than Florida. <laughs> I mean, I, I
4: know that um, a lot of your public land to me, i can go off on a whole tangent about how I think they're managing a lot of it like like way wrong. Um, how so? Well, a lot of it is like they're just waging war on bucks. I mean, it's like the like, there's one near my house that it's got a pond that we go fish. And you can drive your truck there and see more deer on the side of the road than you'll see anywhere in the whole county. But there's, like, two days a year that you're allowed to shoot a doe. And they have these they have all these quota hunts or check-in hunts that basically give you three or two free buck tags, and you have three days to use them. Mm -hmm. So, it's basically like, in my opinion, it's like they're just, you know, it's like incentivizing people just to shoot the first little buck they see, and then they give them free tags to do it, and the doe, meanwhile, the deer population as a whole is higher than most private land, you just can't shoot any does. Mm Mm-hmm. Um...
1: Well, that's kind of the same issue here. I mean, it, it, unless you're in bow season, you can't shoot a doe on, yep. on almost all public land.
4: And they've made it that way on private land too. They a couple of years ago they introduced these doe days um where they've got it where like the the times of the year when most people are hunting like around the opener and Thanksgiving are buck only. And I haven't see, I don't feel like there's anywhere that I hunt that the deer population is low i feel like it's on the high side everywhere across three count i mean the three counties i hunt i don't have anywhere that's not just in my opinion probably more deer than you would actually want yet and i've talked to a lot of people that agree with that yet they they introduce these doe days in the times when the most people hunt and basically that incentivizes meat hunters to kill little bucks you know what I mean? Like if you if you just want some meat in your cooler, and you can't shoot a doe, you're going to shoot a spike.
2: Right. Yeah,
1: I agree with that. Uh, that what you're what you're describing though, Tanner, is is the exact same thing I think we see here, and that and that is when you you throw things out of whack with the buck to doe ratio because you let two deer a day be shot in perpetuity, and then to bring the population up, you make it buck only for it, for, you know, a, a long period of time, y- you make the rut difficult, you make the hunting difficult. And then by not providing meat hunters, the opportunities to shoot does. Now you're incentivizing a younger age class of bucks to constantly be shot, which, you know, I- I'm not holding that against anybody. If you want to shoot a young deer, that's what, sh- th- that's what you should do. However, biologically speaking, there is a negative impact by not having Uh, you know, older age classes of bucks on the landscape. It it has an impact. And I think, um, you know, the only way to really fix a buck to doe ratio, unfortunately, is to shoot does and then increase the carrying capacity of the land, increase the ability uh, of those does to drop more than one fawn every year and then manage it from that point moving forward. And and I think the doe day idea um, can sometimes backfire seriously if we're not careful
5: i think it's a good idea when it's needed but i just don't i mean like i don't think i think i don't think it's an issue most places in georgia i think if anything i mean like the county i live in is one of the county things due to the dough days and i just don't see how on earth they possibly determine that we don't we don't have an overpopulation of dogs.
1: yeah no a- it's funny because I think the I think the idea behind the doe days was maybe a good idea, but I think the application sucked because if you go up to, um, if you go up to like Union Fannin Rabin County up there in like extreme North Georgia, the deer population up there is hurting, like it it, it right. genuinely is hurting. But you're you're talking about two to- like polar opposites for the amount of, of of deer on the landscape where you are in central. I mean you're you're dang near making right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, that's a totally different scenario than, than uh, the North Georgia Mountains.
5: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: You know, and 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 I would point out that the issue that they're facing in the North Georgia Mountains has very less to do with the with uh, how many does are being shot, and a lot to do with the fact that those mountain uh, woodland areas are are woefully mismanaged, and there's nothing there for them to eat. The carrying capacity of the yeah. land is low. Right. You know, I mean. So, yeah, I but I think I think that's kind of the same thing we face in Florida, though, to be honest with you. I think the carrying capacity in a lot of our public land here isn't great anyways. So, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're only going to achieve so much. You're only going to achieve so much with these changes. So uh, I don't know what the solution is. I'm not a biologist. It's just, you know, I'm just talking, you know, basic principles here. Right. Let, let's let's uh, story time this thing right here. All the time you spend in the woods, all the time you spend traveling, what's the weirdest thing you've encountered uh, in your out-of-state deer hunting uh, travels? The weirdest thing. <laughs> I don't know, man. You kind of put me on the spot on
5: that one. Um, let's see. Last year in Kentucky, there were two people trying to start a fight in a parking lot <laughs> in Walmart. Um
1: Walmart. Well, we'll circle back to that really one. Man.
5: So, i tell you, I wrote this lady a letter one time asking for permission. And she told me that, she wrote me a letter back, and this is on my YouTube, she wrote me a letter back saying that she, was, she wouldn't give me permission because there was a rabid raccoon in her area that was attacking people. And she said that, as you know, this happens about every seven or eight years This being the seventh year, feel free to contact me next year, and we can talk about it. So, (laughs) basically, to this lady, setting stone every seven years, there's predictably going to be a (laughs) rabid (laughs) raccoon in her area. (laughs) (laughs) For whatever reason, sir. the next six years, you're studying You can pet any of them.
1: Good. <laughs> Chase, Chase, can you confirm uh, that as a, a first responder? Is that uh, typically the? the <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not from that area, so I've I, I, but I have not read that in any uh, <laughs> like medical books
1: <laughs>
2: of a rabid <laughs> raccoon problem. Every <laughs> seven, <biblical>. eight years.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a. Uh, uh, Okay, that.
5: Uh, I never <laughs> wrote him another letter. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to hunt there
4: anymore.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, man. He's afraid of the raccoons. Yeah, afraid of the raccoons. Man. I mean, dead gum. That's <laughs> as you know. <laughs> that's, that's the best part yeah, of, that, right. of that response. As you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
5: It might
1: have been been as it goes or something, but like basically, like the way she put it was like, this is just everybody knew
2: that. Uh, I guess. Oh, God. Nice. Well, Tanner, I got a question for you. And this, it seemed like this kept popping up over and over again. And I really didn't read a lot of the questions, but I I assume this would be a question for uh, someone like yourself. And we mentioned that. You're hunting about five months out of the year, and pretty much a lot of the guys were on the same kind of line as that. How do you get a wife that allows you to hunt <laughs> as much as you do? Well. Like, where do you find this woman at, this this unicorn?
5: The answer is kind of the question. When you say allows you to, <laughs> you're, already, you're already messed up. <laughs>
2: Or who puts up with you, hunting I mean, five months out of the year? The,
5: uh, the thing is, you you meet one and you just this is the way it's gonna be. If you don't like it, then you ain't
2: the one. Right. Well, I'm pretty sure there's been a lot of guys that do that, and then it just ends up in <laughs>
0: yeah. I was about to <laughs> say later on divorce. They agree. They agree early one. on.
2: Uh, it
5: have you, you gotta make it clear from day one, man, because you know you don't want to. That way it's just you – you get them trained, man. That's the way it is.
2: Right. So – per- If
5: you go through the honeymoon phase and don't hunt as much, and then three or four years down the road, you start wanting to hunt all the time, you done not screw it up. I just got lucky, man. I got I got lucky, I guess. I mean, she, like – I'm supposed to be home on Thanksgiving and Christmas, and generally I'm, like, <laughs> coming in the door, like – Feeding the way home to get in, like, because, you know, like, Thanksgiving, of course, it changes every year, but say so you go early Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm, not, I'm hunting somewhere until, like, the last possible second, flying home and, like, meeting at my mom's house, and she had to drive her own car to my mom's house to sit down and eat Thanksgiving there, like, <laughs> last, you know, last possible second, but other than Thanksgiving and Christmas... She don't like literally throughout the course of an entire deer season, she might mm. complain like one time. But I just got lucky. She's pretty laid
2: back. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So basically, it's like a lotto ticket, is what you're telling everybody. <laughs> I
5: guess. I mean, yeah, I reckon. I don't know. I think the main thing
1: is just yeah, making known from the get go. I won't be hunting. What's, what, what yeah. what's, what was her ultimatum Fight to you? The well, yeah, I mean, you, you told ultimatum? her from the get-go, hey, I'm going to be hunting. Was, did she say every Saturday I'm going to Target and you're not going to say anything about it?
5: I didn't really, actually, she was kind of spoiled the first season because we started dating on, like, Halloween and I was already <laughs> tacked out. And I was in high school then, so I wasn't going to another state, but, like, it wasn't like a, I don't know, I mean, she. You know, crafting. I don't know. I don't... I'm not a... I'm definitely Mm -hmm. not going to complain about
1: that. You know what I mean? Like... Hobby Lobby's got coupons, man.
2: (laughs) Any kids? Are there uh, there any kids in the future? In the future? Yeah. I don't know. That's the future, man. (laughs) Well, I mean... People talk about it when they get married, or uh, you've been married for a while. Yeah, right.
5: We don't have any immediate plans of it. Um, yeah. it yes, happens. it does. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, if you if you're gone for five months, then the chances <laughs> yeah, are a lot that's true. A slimmer. <laughs> hey. I might come for a long time when I get
5: back.
2: <laughs> well, you just don't want to yeah. mess up on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's the rut time, apparently, from what I've seen. <laughs> Five months. Oh, I know. Probably a total of one
5: month.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're hunting a lot in Georgia for that time, right?
5: Right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't really ever miss it. Like, rarely mm-hmm. do I miss a day here. I mean, if I tag out, I'm, like, trying to find somebody that's having a rough year and take them, you know? like.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the one thing that also it all, it has always impressed me is your willingness to take other people.
5: Yeah, it seems like I have really bad luck when it comes to that.
1: How so? I've
5: never, I don't think I've ever taken anybody that actually ended up killing. Oh, really? But I've taken, I've had probably four misses on the biggest deer of their life and several. My brother last year missed the biggest deer of his life, two different deer in one morning.
0: Golly. Will.
5: Well,
1: I need to come up there so and say God.
5: I tried to that uh, I think well or offered to.
1: Yeah. You're I, cool. I, I, I ran out of ways to say no, so I went and caught COVID so that I could avoid it. Yeah.
5: <laughs> Look, that's, I mean, it's like you don't have that anymore, bro. Right? What was that? I said, you don't even have COVID anymore, dude. That's true. That's like, like, I prom. If I had COVID, I would be in a tree. I promise
1: you. Yeah, not if you, not if you had it the way that I had it. I guarantee that. Yeah, there was there was no climbing trees if you had COVID the way that I did. That was that was something else. I'm just messing with you. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's all good. Ground blind, ground blind, ground blind. That's right.
5: Oh, you got to figure, I almost cut my toe off, dude. I couldn't walk. If I walked 10 yards, my shoe would fill up with blood.
1: Did, that's That
5: was like half of my deer season this year. Did,
1: didn't they almost have to take your toe off?
5: Huh? Didn't
1: they have to almost amputate the toe? Didn't he get infected or something like that?
5: Yeah, they almost did cut it off, but here's what happened. I was wearing flip-flops and this buck had got hit. Or, it, i was seen all these buzzers on the train track. So I was like, I bet you a deer got hit by a train. So I go over there and there's guts all over the train track. I was like, yep. So I started looking and then one bug is like flew up out of the woods. I was like, that's where he is. So I go over there. I go back to my truck and I always I have a little bag on my climber and it's always got a limb saw in it. So I get my limb saw and go over there. and I'm holding the deer's antler down with my foot, stalling his rack off. And When it gets through, the saw flips through and like cuts my big toe. Well, dude, it starts shooting blood out like (laughs) three feet. And I mean I got a video I can show you, it's just shooting blood out. So I was supposed to take my buddy hunting that afternoon. So this is gonna sound stupid, but I was like, How am I gonna stop this blood? So I just got a good lot of blood and like slap it on there and walk back in my truck. And, um, I'm trying to think of what I got, some tape or something, just taped around my sock real tight. So, so, anyway, my buddy gets there, we start walking to the woods, probably good, I don't know, four, five hundred yards to the tree, I was going to have a fun. and dude, my shoe is just filling up with blood. So, we get there, we get up the tree, and... I, we didn't even get as high as we were going to get. It, and I told him, like, yeah, dude, I'm about to pass out. It's not as high as we're going to go. <laughs> like, I literally, I was like uh, I guess I was going to pass out from blood loss. I don't know. But, Give like, my Lord. whole, the whole bottom of my climber is covered in blood. And so I'm like, well, we're here. So, I hunt. Then after that, I was like, I guess I better go to the dang doctor because this thing ain't going to stop bleeding. So, Turned out the biggest mistake I made was not going to the doctor immediately because they said since I was crammed it full of mud and <laughs> didn't go to the doctor immediately, they couldn't stitch it up. So then for like the next month and a half, it just busted wide open, which they told me to stay in bed, which I wasn't going to do. So <laughs> it just busted wide open, like every single day. And, but yeah, I ended up getting infected because. I was like, this thing's bleeding. There ain't no point cleaning it. It's just going to keep bleeding. Well, apparently dried blood harbors infection. So, yeah, the doctor said he was was like, if it got any worse, he was going to have to cut my toe off.
1: (laughs) All that for a train hit deer.
5: Yeah, dude, it was like a tiny little six-pointer. Like, just straight up a a yearling.
1: I shouldn't laugh.
5: Paper, paper, get that thing mounted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the
1: yearling that almost killed uh, Tanner Edinfield. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this: How do you, or do you? You may not. Do you ever suffer mentally uh, after you know during during the grind? I mean, you hunt a lot. Do you ever find that uh, it's difficult to like? get up and go the next day or do you just wake up every day ready to go?
5: Yeah, so like when it comes to like and I saw like where people some people were asking that on the thing, like when it comes to like I mean if I got tired of going I was not go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if it quit being fun, I would take a day off. But it's not you know what I mean? I don't I wouldn't consider it mental toughness. It's like I have to prepare myself to not be hunting every day. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's not, it it, it would take more mental toughness for me to not be in the woods than it does for me to be there. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Like, if I can't make it to the woods, I'm panicking. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, to me, it's the easiest thing in the world to be deer hunting. Like, how could that be, you know what I mean? How could that be hard?
1: Do you, do you feel like, do you ever find it to where it's like the, the compromise that you, that you, that you strike with yourself is maybe you go sit at like uh sit on a power line or something, or maybe you don't go as far, but you're just always still out there? Sometimes, well,
5: yeah, sometimes, but it's generally like, generally if I do a lazy hunt, it's because like work just made it where, right? like work or whatever just made it where it was. I would be doing more harm than good by hunting the way I want to be. And actually, a lot of my hunting, especially here, is kind of, I guess, you know, you're talking about just like sitting right off the power line or something like that. That's actually the way I hunt most of the time here, just because I feel like your entry and exit route is so important. And uh, if you can be right off of something that, you know deer's used to traffic like right off a road or right off a power line then i feel like you are better off you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like the less chance of the time to cut your trail the better off you are
1: no that makes sense for sure i
5: a lot of my hunts are lazy um, hunts
1: i think i think a lot of people who get tired now i'm not i'm not trying to like I don't know. I'm not bashing anybody. I'm not giving anybody, you know, like a a hard time, but I think a lot of people who get burnt out, I think are, are, are people who maybe have set themselves up with, with unfair expectations. Um, you know, I'm, I'm making allowance for people who, who are struggling because their hunting is hard. I mean, that's a totally different scenario, but it's been very infrequent for me when my mind is in the right spot and I'm, and I'm, I, you know, I have, you know, realistic expectations for myself. I found it very difficult not to be motivated to go. Um, but I, I hear a lot of people, I I talk to a lot of people too, and they're like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I, you know, I I had these four big bucks on camera and and it just, you know, I just, I I put 39 hunts in and didn't make it happen. I don't know if I'm going in the morning and it's like, maybe, maybe I don't hunt enough big deer to where I don't get burnt out, but I, I, for me, being out there, it sounds cheesy, but being out there and being and, and, and having the pursuit, more or less, so long as I'm seeing deer, I'm, I'm willing to get up and go the next day. I mean, I, I've had my own lows. Like, two years ago was a very tough year for me, but that was year three of getting my teeth kicked in. You know, it took three years of that before I started really having motivation issues.
5: Yeah, I mean... It- it's definitely easy to get motivated. I mean, it's, it's definitely easy to get discouraged if you're not seeing deer or whatever, yeah. but generally I'm change. If I'm not seeing deer, I'm changing enough. I'm changing something to where it's kind of exciting, you know, it's back to that. What if factor. And also I'm like, you know, if I'm not seeing deer, I'm really not hunting them. You know what I mean? So like it, that in itself kind of keeps it new and exciting enough
1: to where it's not, not really getting burnt out, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and I, just, you know, I just want to reiterate, I'm not like bashing <laughs> on people who get frustrated. I, I've been there. I just, I, I think having the right expectations changes a lot of things. I had to talk to a couple of people this year. that's like, I put in a lot of time on public land this year in Florida and it, you know, I didn't get any of my uh, any of the bucks that I was after, and it's like, I mean, that first off sounds a lot like public land in Florida. So, <laughs> right? You know, if you're upset about the uh, fact it, that it played it, out the way that it played, it, it's kind of supposed to in this state. <laughs> you know, hunt Georgia. It also, <laughs> also, it's kind of like,
5: you know, there's almost never a time that I'm not seeing deer, but it, it's like I'm, you know. What I said, now I don't, I don't necessarily knock on doors as much unless I just got a good deer that I think I need to get the next property to kill them. But, like, for years and years, 365 days a year, I was finding properties to where I'm not, not like, I'm rarely not seeing deer. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, you yeah, it, it was four or five years of grinding to, to now I'm at I'm at a point that I'm seeing deer and the parts of the year that, that typically kinda of suck, which to me is the month of December, um you know, hunting other states. Or you know, I might go to Alabama or I might you know, I would be content to parts of Which, actually, this year I ended up killing a good buck in December, but I was, like, that day I was content to just go be in the woods and try to shoot a doe, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't even, the deer I killed, I wasn't even hunting. I wasn't, like, with it sucking, I wasn't even burning myself out trying to shoot one of my deer I was chasing because, number one, like you said, it's okay to discouraging not seeing them, and number two, I feel like I was doing more harm than good by even messing with
1: them when it's seventy degrees. Yeah. Yeah, I I could see that. I think I think resetting things okay. and, and keeping things lighthearted is important. Chase doesn't know anything about that because he just he's got like fifteen deer underneath him everywhere he goes. Seems like public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to you. Huh? I want to Thank you. Well, he's got a height standard. It's kind of like a roller coaster. You have to be this tall or, or taller to, to ride, and I don't. I don't come in uh, near high, near tall enough. <laughs> uh, we're we're not that close to,
2: to each other. Either. I'm pretty tall, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty tall. I'll take you hunting, man. Hey, come on down. The thing with Walter is our schedules generally don't match each other.
1: So. Yeah, that's that's the big issue there. Yeah, I'm a weekend warrior, and he's uh, he he goes. <laughs> Monday through Friday. I'm an I'm an every third day di- third day guy. Yeah, <laughs> basically, <laughs> I can hunt every third day. Yeah,
2: so for sure, unless I
1: take off. Yeah, well, Chase, do you have any questions for Tanner? I've, I've kind of ran the gamut of things that I felt like were important to to, to talk.
2: Uh, the only question I have is, uh, what does uh next season entail for you, Tanner? Have you Have you planned on what you're going to do next season or anything? Um.
5: Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I'm assuming I'm going to draw Kansas next season. Hopefully,
4: mm-hmm. like the
5: unit I hunt is almost a guaranteed draw. Like I know a guy that's been going for like twelve years and has never not been drawing. I was just one of the one of the lucky few that didn't get to go. So for sure, Kansas in Ohio. I would say probably for sure Alabama, probably West Virginia, and. I'm thinking of writing some letters to in Indiana and trying it. Uh, I'm also, I'm, I don't know.
2: That, that's it so far, but we'll see. Gotcha. There you go. Well, sounds like a action pact. Right. Yeah. I hadn't decided if I'm going to hunt Kansas this year or not. Uh, I do. I have a preference point that I bought last year um, just to buy one, just in case I was like, well, if I ever have a year that I want to definitely go out there, normally if you have at least one preference point, you're pretty much guaranteed to hunt anywhere. In, in yeah, so. Yeah, I think I'm going to start some. buying
1: a preference point for Kansas starting next year, or this year. Um, and then, uh, obviously, I got one one – Tanner, I think you and I are supposed to draw Iowa at the same time, right? Isn't that what you had me do? Start putting in at the same time as you, so we can get drawn together.
5: Something uh, like that. Yeah. I got one point right
1: now. Yeah, that's what I've got. I've got one point too. You, I remember you. Were, you told me I should start putting in because we'd be at the same time, and I don't know how many points that was, but I think it, I think that was just this past twenty twenty. I bought one point. Yeah.
5: So it just depends where you go, I guess.
1: Yeah. I'm going wherever Jason yeah, went. That's for dang sure. <laughs>
5: Chase, are you hunting public land, or was
2: it out an or what? Uh, I hunted. I hunted some private and public. One one piece of private, and then public. Yeah,
5: but on the private
2: land. What's that?
5: The private land you were hunting was it somebody you knew, or was it like?
2: Uh, it was somebody my buddy knew. I went up there with a buddy of mine, and he's the one that. That he's the reason I applied to go up there five
1: years ago. Well, listen, dude, I appreciate you taking a uh, – well, it's been longer than that because we got disconnected there in the middle, but at least an hour and 45 minutes out of your evening. Uh, I'm sure Alana is, is ready to, to, to have you back. Um, I got one question for you.
5: you D- me about 30 minutes ago saying dinner's ready. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Here's here's my my final parting question for you, and then I'll let you be. I I, uh, I end every episode. I try to best I can with this parting question. Have you heard it before? No, nah, bro. You don't listen to the podcast. You're breaking my heart, dude. Not very often, I'm gonna <laughs> be honest. With you. If I do, I don't listen. Apparently, I
5: don't know <clears> the
1: part. You don't yeah. listen to the end. You just get the good stuff and leave. That's what that's what we're gonna. That's gonna be the company line. Um. All right. So you go back to your earliest. Tanner, Ed, and Field Self, before you killed a 140, before you were, you know, you know, social media famous,
0: <laughs>
1: what singular piece of deer hunting advice would you give yourself that would have changed your path as a deer hunter? Oh.
5: Uh Don't sleep in on December 8, <laughs> 2000 and... <laughs> I would have been 2012 or 13, maybe 14.
1: What happened that day? I had been.
5: It would have probably been 13. I was still living with my parents. There was in my backyard. There was like a 140 inch buck, big 10 pointer. I heard of, like, they shut up!" like. Actually, it's funny how it happened. These showed, I had baited up all these does all year, and I said I wasn't going to hunt it until, like, November 8th, which is normally a good day, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
5: But I waited all this time with anticipation of hunting it then, and it was supposed to rain that day. My dad was going down about an hour away, and I was like, well, I guess sit in a box line over there. So I went there, and that's when that deer showed up. But so then I hunted them, like, every day that the wind was right. You know, I'm hunting on, like, 10 acres, so it ain't like I can really move around. It's just a matter of him showing up or not, you know? Well, December 8th came around. I was going to go home, but what it was is there was a, a house right across the highway I was wanting to buy and possibly buy and turn into rental. I didn't know how much it up, or ended up going for way more than I could afford. But anyway... um that started at nine, so I would have only been able to hunt till like eight thirty or eight. So my alarm goes off, I'm like I ah, don't I'm gonna be able to hunt that long. Might as well just not even go. Go back to sleep. Check the camera. There he is, broad freaking daylight. Probably the deepest deer I've ever had a picture of around here. And looking back, that's like probably my biggest regret deer hunting wise.
1: The one that got away. Yeah.
5: That ain't really a piece of advice, though, is it? <laughs> i <need to> <laughs> it. I'll tell you what. Um, if I, when am I going back
1: to? The, 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 the point in which you think it would have changed you the most. It could be a week ago if you need to. But typically I frame it such as if you could go back to your earliest – deer hunting self, like the, the early, early years, and give yourself probably some kind
5: first, of... Probably, I would have probably told myself to find the archery coach <clears throat> right out of the gate and start shooting uh, blank bells a lot, because really, for the first, until I was probably 18, I was missing as many or more deer as I was hitting, and I'm still pretty bad, but... When I really started shooting blank mail and getting my target panic under control and getting it, getting my shot down to a real, like, repeatable process and getting a lot calmer, I think that was really when I kind of turned the corner. Right on. Yeah, making it count.
1: Well, dude, I appreciate you taking all this time out your evening chatting with us and i'm I'm gonna end this one knowing that the way that I ended it the last time led to it being almost two years before I had you back on, but I'd like to have you back on at some point um we We've got a series that's that we're putting together for this upcoming year that I'm not gonna release what it is, but I'd like to uh to have you on and kind of pick your brain uh along the lines of the of the the we'll say it a hindsight's twenty twenty type series. Uh, but maybe pick your brain about this past deer season and uh, maybe dig a little deeper into what, what, what unfolded for you. Sounds good,
5: man. And, by the way, if anybody wants to see what unfolded, check out Halfway Well Travel on YouTube.
1: There you go. I was about to give you the opportunity. If, if, round it out. Tell them where they can find all your content. What's your social media handles and everything?
5: Yeah. Last time you forgot to ask. I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, did. I had to make my own shout-out opportunity. Um, yeah, so it's happened will travel on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I think that's all I'm on. I don't know. I think I might be on TikTok still. I ain't got all that in a while, though, but so don't expect
1: a whole lot out of it. <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate you. Hang on one second. I'm going to close this out, but I want to chat with you afterwards. Guys, we are back. I apologize for the delays. Probably... By the time you hear this, there's probably close to a three weeks' delay, but Chase and I needed to take some time off for the for the holidays and then I went and caught the vid and that that had me under for for quite some time. But we are back in action it is twenty twenty one We've got a lot of fun things planned for you and uh Number one thing we'd ask of you is is we grow via word of mouth. If you tell a friend, tell somebody about the podcast, send it to, to your three closest friends, that's how we grow, that's how the podcast grow, and we would greatly appreciate it. So until next time, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.